we're in First uh, John chapter 5. I'm uh, going to look at the, that chapter today. So if you've got a Bible, keep your Bible open at First John. Uh, but as we begin to head there, I want you to have a look at your own life. I want you to take a, an inventory of your life as to who you are in Jesus Christ, to recognize exactly what the Bible says about you, exactly who you are in the Lord Jesus. Because John here calls us conquerors, calls us overcomers. He says we're, we're these victors, if you want, um, over the things of the world as they press in on us. Now, here's a listing of some of the, the titles that are yours and mine. Because of Jesus Christ, because of our salvation in him, we're called believers, those who believed in Jesus for salvation. We're called Christians. That is, we have Jesus Christ within us. That's amazing. That's an incredible thought as we go through life. We're called the children who belong to God, friends of Jesus. We're called sheep because we followed the shepherd, the true shepherd, who's Jesus Christ, our Lord. Uh, we're called saints. That is the, the saints who are living and alive and honor and glorify him and make much of him. We're called soldiers because we're in a battle. We're in a war against the, the enemy that's all around us. We're called God's elect because we've been chosen from the world and to live for Jesus and to walk with him. We're ambassadors for Christ, representatives, if you want, everywhere we go for the Lord Jesus Christ. We're branches of his vine connected into his life as we live here today. We're loved by God. Incredible. John has been emphasizing that thought the whole way through, that you and I are a people loved by God. We're actually called his disciples. We're called servants of Christ, the people of God, a royal priesthood, uh, the righteous. We're referred to as being strangers and exiles because this world, the world we live today is not our our, our home. This is a land we're passing through and we're heading to our eternal destination, which is heaven with the Lord Jesus. And we're called people of the household of God. So we're a very different people from the people of the world. And John wants us to get that. He says, because of this, you're overcomers, you're conquerors, you're greater than the world that's all around you. You can live within it and you can glorify and magnify your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because of him living in you. Now, John uses the Greek word nikeo, meaning conqueror or overcomer. That's the word he uses for that phrase. And the Greeks had this belief that only the gods could um, achieve such a victory, if you want, as, as one who would overcome something, who would conquer something. One of the gods was called Nike, and she was the goddess of victory. They believed that it was her, that uh, Nike, who helped Zeus in his battle with the Titans, where victory belonged to Nike. So whenever you buy something with a Nike logo on it, for example, the world says to you, hey, you're an overcomer, you're a conqueror of your competitors. All that are you're running against, racing against, whatever, in a sporting manner, you're better than them. You can overcome them. Well, John uses that same philosophy prior to Nike, by the way, but he uses the same philosophy, but he's using it against the world. He says, you as a believer, me as a believer, we're overcomers, we're conquerors, we're Nikeo. We can overcome the world as the world presses her philosophies, her theories, her ideas, her ideologies into our lives, which are all around us today. And the things we read and what we write and what we watch on television, the movies, entertainment, academia, it's all there. It's been pressed in against us. John says, you can live in the midst of that and you can glorify Christ in the midst of that because of who you are in Jesus. You're an overcomer. You're a conqueror. In fact, John warns that we we don't belong to this uh, place. We, we live in a different realm, if you want. And so in John 17, verses 14 to 16, the Lord Jesus spoke these words. He says, I've given them your word. I've given them your truth. And the whole the world has hated them because they're not of the world, 
so th these people that have followed your truth, they don't belong to this world. They're hated by the world, just as I'm not of the world. I do not pray, however, says Jesus, that you should take them out of the world. I want you to leave them there, Father, but that you should keep them from the evil one. You're going to protect them, walk with them, encourage them, and enable them to be overcomers, conquerors as they, they live in this world. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. We belong to Jesus. We're of another realm. So through salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ has um, rescued us from the control of Satan, and he's positioned us into his kingdom that he's going to set up. And with our new position in Christ's kingdom, we can live as, as overcomers. We can live as conquerors, all by the power of Jesus Christ who lives in us. You see, this becomes clear to us as we read verse 1 of our text. It literally reads like this. Whoever is believing that Jesus is the Christ, has been born of, God, born of God. Whoever is, that is whoever continues, whoever presses on, whoever perseveres in this belief. It's not simply saying, yeah, you made a comment one time or you you went forward in a meeting one time or whatever, but it's you're, you're continuing, you're walking through through all the adversary, sort of adversity that comes your way, through all the challenges that come your way. You're continuing to live for God and for his glory. This is an evidence that you belong to him. This gives us encouragement with one another that we belong to Jesus. Now notice also the one who overcomes the world is the one who believes that Jesus, our Savior, is the Son of God. We're saying we believe. We're convinced. That's what believe means. We're convinced that Jesus is the Son of God. And his authority in living as this victorious conqueror of all things worldly is all to do with the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're saying we can overcome this world because, because of who Jesus Christ is. And then in verse 2, we were victorious in loving all those who are born of God. John tells us you've got the capability of loving all who belong to God, all who truly belong to God. And we can do this because we love the commandments of God. And we have this victorious, overcoming, conquering love because we believe that Jesus is the Son of God and it gives us assurance of our belonging to him and that we do not belong to this world. This is not our home. Don't make this your home. Don't think this is where you settle. You're greater than this. You're an overcomer of this. You're a conqueror of these thoughts and so on. And from here, John tells, continues to tell the believer what exactly it is that we must believe. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've been redeemed by him, you've given your life to him, you're walking with him, you're following him. But you know, at that moment of salvation, you need to begin to understand what you have to believe. If you're going to glorify him, you have to believe certain things. The belief system is not left up to you and me to decide. It comes from the word of God. And Jesus says, this is what I want you to believe. So John's making that clear to us right here. He's not writing from some sort of theological preference He's writing as an apostle who is inspired by God the Spirit to make known to those redeemed by Jesus what they must believe about the life uh, and desires of their Lord and Savior, Jesus. So as Christians, we believe that Jesus was baptized with water, which enabled him to publicly identify with sinners. He goes out there and he says, I'm being I'm being uh, baptized here, being baptized into the following of Oh, Almighty God, my Father, that's who I'm living for. And God was so pleased with this that he, he sent the, the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove to settle and rest in Jesus as he came up out of the water at his baptism. Today, whenever someone is baptized, they're clarifying something similar. 
They're saying, they're indicating or intimating that their, their commitment is now to Jesus Christ. They're being baptized in, into following him, living for him, walking with him. They're saying, I'm going to follow him all the days of my life. I'm committed to this. I believe in him. So I'm going to continue in that. I'm going to walk in that. And that gives, it, it gives a, an understanding and appreciation that they're a true, genuine believer. They're persevering in their faith in him. John mentions the blood. He says the blood represents the death of Christ for sinful humanity. Without the shedding of blood, there never could be any dealing with man's sins. See, Jesus was going to have to become God's acceptable sacrifice at Calvary to redeem your soul, to redeem me from the slave market of sin. We were sinners, lost and on our way to hell, but God sent Jesus to step in there as our, our propitiatory sacrifice, taking our place, a sacrifice that God would accept because Jesus had no sin in his life. And so he says, I'm going to put it all on my son, Jesus. And Jesus said, that's okay. I will go with the Father's will. I will take all of their sin into my being, and I'll take their punishment that they deserve. And so we, we celebrate today that we're redeemed by Jesus. We're headed towards home, heaven and home. And we read these words in Matthew 26, 28, where Jesus says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I want you to recognize that in Jesus Christ, you're one of the many mentioned in scripture. That's exactly who you are. With, without his bloody death, we never could have had our sins forgiven. And we never would be privileged to live as the redeemed of God today. And it's a wonderful privilege that we have in that sense. John then continues to refer to the, the Spirit or the Holy Spirit, if you want, who is truth. He says the Holy Spirit is truth. He's going to lead you into truth. He's going to bring you to truth. The Holy Spirit will, will guide the believer into all the truth that's reflected for us and made clear to us in God's Word. So we go to the Word of God and we say, this is truth. And the Spirit takes that and puts it into our hearts and helps us understand God's truth, so we can live in a way that glorifies and magnifies our wonderful Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the Spirit was there at the um, at the conception of Jesus Christ. Right from day one, the Spirit of God was involved. He was there at Christ's baptism. We just mentioned that. He was there when Jesus went into the wilderness to be tested by Satan for 40 days and 40 nights. The Spirit went with him. The Spirit empowered his whole ministry, giving him the, this authority to do incredible things because of their working together as part of the, the Trinity, if you want. and But the Holy Spirit that lives in you and me and is evidence that we belong to Jesus, the Holy Spirit must never, ever, ever, ever be blasphemed. Man thinks he can say what he wants, do what he wants, can mock the Word of God, but you know, he doesn't get away with that. You don't blaspheme against the Spirit of God. Here's what the Word of God says about this in Mark chapter 3, verses 28 to 30. Surely I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men and whatever blasphemies they may utter. Now, that's encouraging news. That's really good news. That, that lifts the pressure right off us. But then we read this. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation. You don't walk away from blaspheming the Holy Spirit. You don't get off with that. It's not a jocular thing or a jovial sort of thing to do. You will be addressed for that man thinks it's going to be okay i can get away with it you can't get away with it this is the word of god that's what god says so we've got to listen to what that, all of that means now god's purpose in this triune ministry of spread water blood is that of enabling sinners to receive his gift of salvation he wants you and i and people around us to receive this amazing offer of salvation therefore it's of eternal importance as to what the individual does with 
uh, the statement in verse 10. The one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony within himself. This is how we, we know. We know that we belong to God. You see, the, the Lord Jesus Christ made this comment to all believers and about all believers in John chapter 10, verses 27 to 30. Here's what Jesus said. You'll be familiar with it. He said, my sheep, my sheep, those whom I have redeemed with my blood, my sheep, hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. My sheep, they, 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 I know every one of them, and every one of them, every one of my sheep follows me. Every one of my sheep walks with me. Every one of my sheep is um, listening to what I say. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Every one of my sheep is eternally safe and eternally secure, says Jesus. And then he goes on and says this, my father who has given them to me. So God the Father has initiated all of this. He's given these sheep, you and I, to the Son. Um, it's greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. We are eternally secure. What an amazing blessing. What an amazing privilege we have as we live for Jesus in that way. In verse 12, then, of our text, John writes this. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. He makes it pretty clear. If, you, if you've got, got life there, you've got the Son. If, if you have no life, you haven't got the Son. Uh, without the Son of God, you have no life. You're a dead person. You're hopeless. In verse 13, John informs us as to his purpose for writing such homages as this to the church. Here's what he writes, and this is really important. I have written these things, says John, to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. That's why I've written all of this stuff. I want you to be certain, to be confident that you have eternal life. He doesn't want you to think you've got eternal life. He doesn't want you just to, to hope in that sense that you've got eternal life. He wants you to know, to have a knowledgeable confidence that you've got eternal life. That's so important because we want to have that. We want to know, I'm going to heaven. I want to live this life for God, and I want to go to heaven. In our text, John then tells us that um, there's a, a confidence in all of this, a confidence of certainty that, that breathes a confidence within each of us because the words in verse 14 are so important. He says, this fresh confidence that you have, that you know Christ, that you're known by Christ, that you're you're secure in him, that you can walk with him, that you're baptized, you're washed in his blood, that, that, that you're really living for him, and the Spirit of God indwells you. He says, because of all of that, you have the confidence to ask anything according to his will, and we can be sure that he hears us. We can ask God the Father anything, and we can be confident he has heard us. He listens to the prayers of his people. you got to be saved. You've got to be redeemed to have that privilege to enjoy that wonderful attribute of life, if you want, of being able to pray to the Creator God. And then Jesus said in John 15, verse 7, verse 7, if you remain in me, if you continue your life in me, if you're living for me and my words remain in you, then ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. So this eternally secure believer can ask whatever they want from God, expecting God to do it. Now, here's, here's the catch. This eternally redeemed believer will only ask from God, what is God's will? I'm going to say, Lord, what's your will for my life? I want my life to be lived under your direction. I want my, my, my life to be lived in honor of you. I want your will to be done in me because your will is best. So I'm only asking for your will, if you, if you want. If we're to pray according to God's will, we're going to have to keep a, a short account of our sins 
So John tells us in verse 16 that there's actually a sin. There's a sin that leads to death. It seems that some of John's readers may very well have known about this sin. Very possibly such a sin was a sin that would have been committed by, by a believer, someone who genuinely knows, genuinely knows Christ. They've been redeemed from their sin, but for whatever reason, they've decided to, to act in a way that is contrary and contradictory to the word of God. So they perform a serious or troubling or detrimental lifestyle to their testimony for Jesus Christ. And because of that, God says, I'm taking you out of there. I'm going to pull you away because you're causing trouble. You're a detriment to what I want to achieve and accomplish. And speaking to the believers in Corinth, Paul warned them about their abuse of the Lord's table. They were coming together to remember Jesus, but they, were, they weren't in a, a headspace, a, an attitude of life, um, a lifestyle practice, if you want to really honor and worship him properly. So he reminded them that some had become physically weak and sick. And he says, and even some have fallen asleep among you. That means some have actually died. They were, they were remembering the Lord in a, an incorrect way. And because of that, some had actually died. We need to take our remembrance of Jesus very, very seriously. I want to encourage you to do these things. Don't relax and don't just go casual with your Christian, Christian living. Be serious about it and get it right. So the sin leading to death is not necessarily one particular sin, but rather it's a, a lifestyle of, un, of unbiblical practice lived by one who's been truly redeemed by Jesus. That's what we're called to avoid. Now, the point John wants to emphasize to the true believer becomes clear to us then in verse 18 of our text. No one who's born of God sins. We, we know that to be true, but we also know, you know what? We probably sinned. I probably sinned earlier today. I sinned yesterday. I've sinned in the past week. I've just gone against this text. And the point that John wants to make in this text is not about an individual sin breaking that relationship with God. It's about the nature of habitual sin breaking that relationship. That that I don't care what, what Jesus says. I don't care what the Bible says. I live like this. This is how I live my Christianity. Well, you don't get away with that. That doesn't work because we've got to live our Christianity according to and driven by the word of God. So we don't practice these sort of, um, this nature of um, sin as we want. We live in a way that honors and glorifies God. Now, here are some reasons as to why you as a redeemed believer cannot live with habitual sin in your life. Two simple reasons I want you to take on board, and these will help you as you walk through your Christian life. As a believer, as a Christian, you have a desire, a desire to obey the commands of God. You enjoy what the Word of God says. He says, this is how God wants me to live. And because of my salvation and redemption in Jesus Christ, I want to live like this for God. So you do that. Secondly, as a believer, being indwelt by God, the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, you have a, a strong burning desire to avoid sin in your life. You don't want sin to be in your life. You want sin, the sin that is in your life to be put to death. You want it to be destroyed. So you don't want to live like a, a person who says, sin's okay, I can enjoy it. And because of that, you're going to be free to avoid habitual sin. And our verse goes on to tell us that the wicked one, the evil one, Satan, he does not touch the believer. Remember those words spoken by Jesus in, in John chapter 10, verse 11? The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Well, we're those sheep, and he has given up his life. He laid down his life to redeem you, to save you, to set you free from sin. He no longer wants you to be caught in that bondage of living in sin. He set you free from that. He's taking you out of that. He's 
brought you out of by redemption he's brought you out of the slave market of sin and he says live for my glory live for the father's honor and with all of that john then writes in verse 19 that we know that we are of god and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one but we know we're of god we're redeemed we're confident in that but all of this world around us it lies under the sway of the wicked one under the sway under the influence of the devil that means that he has influence of a crazy level in the political realm in academia in um, education in entertainment in religious practice that his emphasis is everywhere god permits that currently but we live in that but we live differently from it because we live according to the Bible. See, as a believer, I want you to understand where your relationship is with uh, the world that we live in. And John makes it clear to us in his gospel in John chapter 15, verses 18 and 19. Listen to what John says right here. If the world hates you, this is Jesus speaking, know that it hated me before it hated you. So, so don't be shocked that the world hates you. He doesn't even use the word dislikes or is upset. He uses the word hate. Now, if you were off the world, the world would love its own. So if you were, if you're unsaved, hey, the world's going to love you. They're not going to dislike you. They're going to love you. Yet because you're not of the world, because you've been redeemed by Jesus, but I chose you out of the world, says the Lord Jesus. I've chosen you to come out of that world that you once were in. Therefore, the world hates you. The world hates the fact that Jesus has chosen you and put you in his kingdom and lifted you from the world. That's what they like and the reason as to why the world hates the believer is because the world is living under the influence of satan and everything that is anti-god or alien to the ways of god simply speaking mankind is divided into two categories of people those who belong to jesus christ through salvation i trust that that's you and those who belong to satan by birth those who are unsaved so i hope that we belong to christ by salvation, because that's the category we want to be in. Um, finally, as we wrap all of this up, John concludes his first epistle to these believers, meeting in what is modern-day Turkey, according to us. He assures them that, um, that we know with certainty that the Son of God has come. God became man in the person of Jesus Christ. We know that. And uh, this is a, a foundational truth to our faith, if you want. And because of this, we enjoy the, the privilege of knowing God. Now, now, John, when he thinks about you and I knowing God, he's not just thinking that we have a knowledge of God existing. He says, you actually know him. It's not a theological knowledge always. It's an actual knowledge. We know God. We know him in that sense. We're beginning to understand him. We're beginning to walk in his way. We look at his word and his word is alive to us and we know him. We've got this ongoing relationship with him it's a wonderful way to have it expressed then finally he says because of all of this because you know god i want you in the first 21 he says because you know god little children th those who walk with with christ guard yourselves protect yourselves from idols idols are going to be all around you he says it seems like we can sort of easily succumb to embracing an idol an idol is anything or anyone that stands between between you and before your relationship with God, for example, it could be your it could be your house, it could be your car, it could be your finances, it could be your family, it could be your career, it, it could be a, a simple desire you have, it could be anything. But you love it so much that it hinders and detriments your walk with God and your love for God and all things to do with God. And your heart 
will have to tell you that because the spirit will have to convict you of sin and say, hey, this is true. You do love this thing, this person more than you love God. So John says here, guard yourself from such a temptation. I want you to remember that through Jesus Christ, you've had your sins forgiven and you've entered into a right, true relationship with God the Father. Um, and God loves you unconditionally and is preparing at this very moment your eternal home. He's, that's being worked on as we as we think about these things and talk about them. So with all of that happening, why would you ever let anyone or anything get before you and, and God's love for you? Why would you let anything get in the way of your love for God? Why would you do that? Don't do that. Instead, fall in love afresh with him, walk with him, honor him, glorify him. Make much of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the God that he represents, being God the Father, who loves you unconditionally. And that's John's message. You're loved unconditionally. You're an overcomer and a conqueror of all things related and pertaining to this world. You can live magnificently for God's glory. So do so. That's his point. May you be blessed as you endeavor to do that. I trust that you have a great week. I trust that you have great stories to tell as you live for Jesus and honor and magnify and glorify him. Thanks for listening. I look forward to catching up soon. Thanks.